We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Good morning, Hope Church. Uh, it's such a joy to be here this morning. A joy because it's got me out of the house, but also an even bigger joy to be kicking off our Christmas preaching series titled To Us, A Child Is Born. For those who don't know me, as Chris said, my name's Rahana and I've been coming along to Hope Church for just over a year now. And alongside Sam and Kirsty, I have the joy of helping lead the Students and Twenties ministry here too. Um, I don't know about all of you, but I love Christmas. I absolutely love it. I'm sure a lot of you are starting to get into the mood, putting the decorations up, opening your advent calendar each morning, and um, putting up the tree and getting, buying presents for your friends and family. We put up our tree last weekend and already the house just feels that much more cosy and it gets us that much more excited for the season. As well as that, perhaps you've been listening to Christmas songs. If you listen to the radio at all, uh, you'd have been bombarded, but maybe you prefer to listen to the more traditional carols. Uh, my favourite Christmas carol is Oh Holy Night. And each December, it's the one that I'm hoping will make it on the church worship set list. Um, that's not a hint, I promise. The main reason I love it is because it so accurately and beautifully sums up Christmas. And one line that comes to mind is this one. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And that's what Christmas is, right? It's the hope of Jesus, of eternal salvation, that good news of great joy that is available to our broken and weary world. And these verses in Isaiah 9 that we've heard and we've seen in that amazing video, that's what these verses were to the Israelites. A thrill of hope in the form of this prophecy of a child to be born, of a son to be given. For those who aren't massively familiar with the book of Isaiah, I want to first rewind back to the start of the book to offer some context, which I just think will help us um, really understand the weight and the comfort of these words in Isaiah 9. So, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who lived in Jerusalem about seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was born. He lived in the latter half of what was known as the Kingdom Period, which you can read about in the history books in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, he was given the not-so-fun job of delivering a message to the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. 
And I say not so fun because the message was all about God's judgment on the Israelites, who'd just been running further and further away from him over the years. And God doesn't hold back in the message he sends through Isaiah. Um, here's some chapter one highlights of things that, things that God says about the Israelites. Uh, he calls them a sinful nation, desolate, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, those who have forsaken or spurned the Lord. Yeah, Israelites weren't in God's good books. In fact, at one point, God even directly says that he stopped listening to them. We fast forward a few chapters and we get to Isaiah 6 and 7, where God gives Isaiah this big vision in the temple, which the long and short of was this, that everything was going to come down so that a new kingdom could come through. And in chapter 7, Isaiah says that the sign of this will be a child born, son of a virgin called Emmanuel. And it is with all of this in the back of our minds that we arrive here at Isaiah chapter 9. We're in the midst of all this heavy talk about judgment. Isaiah begins to flesh out the hope that is to be left in the wake of this judgment. Uh, chapter 9 begins with a more than welcome word. Nevertheless. Verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And in verse 6, we learn that the hope that is to save them from this gloom is a child, a person. It's none other than Jesus. Verse 6 offers us four names that Jesus will be called. Um, though we could probably just cut out the word called and say four things Jesus will be, as Jewish naming practices put a lot more into titles and names than we do. To call Jesus these names is to say that his character will embody these things. What kind of ruler will this new government have? Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Throughout December, we as a church will be thinking about each of these titles given to Jesus. And for the rest of this talk, I get to think about that first one, wonderful counsellor. We'll first think about what Isaiah meant by that phrase. Then we'll see how Jesus fulfills it before ending on what it means for us thousands of years later. Wonderful counsellor. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear that phrase. Perhaps you think of a fancy leather couch with a smartly dressed person sat by with a clipboard. Uh, maybe you think of Robin Williams in a scruffy cardigan, Goodwill hunting style. Or maybe you think of a person or specific people in your life that you consider trustworthy, the ones you go to when you need that bit of support or advice. Uh, I don't know about you, but when it comes to me, I'm very much an external processor. My thinking about things going on in my life tends to happen out loud to the people around me. And I wanted to tell you about two of these people that I often went to uh, during my time at uni when I just felt a bit stuck. So the first person I want to tell you about is a woman called Bethan, uh, who discipled me on a one-to-one -one basis throughout my time at university. Uh, despite Bethan being only two years older than me, her and her now husband were often referred to by me as my uni parents. Now, Bethan is the most patient person I know. The amount of times I would come to her with the same stress of frustration and I would vent to her is impressive because anyone who's met me knows 
I can I can really talk. Um, so anyway, Bethan is the best listener I know. And honestly, he used to drive me mad. There were times I would vent to her about something and wait for her to interject and tell me how to solve my problem. But the interjection never came. She would patiently sit and listen, really listen, and wait for me to finish. Then she wouldn't give me a solution, but rather would offer compassion and empathy and prayer. Admittedly, she did once admit that if I kept talking long enough, I'd come up with a solution myself. But that's not what we're focusing on here. We're focusing on the compassion and empathy and prayer. Uh, The second person I want to talk to you about uh, was my Christian Union staff worker, whose name is Niv. Now, Niv's approach to offering me counsel was somewhat different. Often I would go to him with a problem and he would immediately point me to a piece of scripture that was fairly blunt or rebuking in tone. Or he'd offer me an analogy that was also fairly blunt or rebuking in tone. Um, If you're a Stranger Things fan, you should ask me sometime about how the Demodog from season two represents sin. I'd love to tell you. But back to the point, Niv never held back from saying what I needed to hear, even when the message itself wasn't fun. And it's not like he didn't say this from a place of genuine love and care, but it's that he took the biblical command to correct brothers and sisters very much to heart. Um, I mention these two examples because despite them seeming like opposing approaches to the idea of what it means to be a wonderful counsellor, actually the words Isaiah uses here in chapter 9 can point to both. The Hebrew words in the original text are pele yoetzt, the former meaning a marvel, a wonder, a miracle. The latter means counsel, to advise, to devise. However, we know that from the way that this phrase is used in other parts of the book, that they're not meant to be taken as separate things, but rather as one intertwined phrase, meaning wonderful in counsel or magnificent in wisdom. Uh, That's how it's translated in Isaiah 28, at least. And just a few chapters after where we're at now, we learn where this wisdom comes from. Chapter 11, verse 2 says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. His wisdom is better than any human counsel because it's God's wisdom. Next week, Chris will be thinking more about what it means for this promised child to be God himself. But here, let's remember that, that this counsel is given by the one most qualified to give it, the Lord. Uh, Is it a strange epithet to give to a baby? Well, yeah, probably. I don't meet many babies that are particularly wise or good at advice. However, as we continue through this series and as we come closer to Christmas, it's important to recognise that whilst Christmas is the time we celebrate the child given to us, we can't leave Jesus in the manger. That baby doesn't stay a baby. He grows into the teenager that we find in Luke 2, listening to the temple teachers and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. That teenager then grows into the adult Jesus, who demonstrated his status again and again. So let's have a look at how Jesus fulfills this part of the prophecy from Isaiah 9. 
there are plenty of instances I could have used to explore Jesus fitting this description. The entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is wonderful counsel that Jesus offers. However, for the moment, I want to focus on one instance, a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Um, it's quite a large chunk of scripture, so I'm not going to read it for us now. But if you have a Bible with you, I would really encourage you to open it up to John 3 verses 1 to 15 that I'll quickly summarise for us now. So Nicodemus was a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus one night and basically says, I've seen you do these miracles and I believe you are who you say you are and that you've come from God. And Jesus responds with this strange comment about how only those who have been born again can enter the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus is thoroughly confused by this. And there's this back and forth between the two, which comes to this challenge where Jesus says, how can you expect to understand the heavenly things if you don't understand the earthly things? Um, it then leads into some of the most famous verses in the Bible where Jesus reveals why he has come. So let's start by noting who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. This tells us that not only was he a religious man, but he would have been educated and in fact highly influential as a member of the Jewish ruling council. And this educated, probably very intelligent man comes to Jesus as someone who believes in his signs and seeks his counsel. He even calls Jesus rabbi, meaning teacher, showing that he humbles himself under Jesus's wisdom. Even the wise men seek Jesus's wisdom. And Jesus's wisdom utterly confounds him. Of course, Jesus's use of the term born again would probably confuse most people. And it's only expected that Nicodemus questions it. But even that's a sign of Jesus's wonderful counsel. Nicodemus doesn't shut him off immediately, but asks questions of Jesus to try and understand what he is saying. And in response to this, Jesus offers a challenge. How is anyone meant to understand the things of heaven when they can't seem to understand the earthly things. By this, Jesus is referring to his parables, stories he told in which he used examples from the world around the Jews to explain God's message to them. Uh, this is also a reminder to us through this contrast with Nicodemus that Jesus does understand the heavenly things. Jesus is armed with heavenly wisdom, which he lovingly chooses to share with Nicodemus here. And he even shows in verses 14, he uses language and stories that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Um, Jesus doesn't always use cryptic coding. He does want us to be able to understand the messages he gives us. Jesus is wonderful in counsel, magnificent in wisdom. Maybe at this point, some of you are actually kind of disappointed what you needed to hear was Jesus was a wonderful counsellor in our contemporary understanding of the word. I mean, especially given the 1.6 million people in our country who referred to NHS mental health teams last year. What you long for is somebody who will listen patiently, who will offer comfort rather than instruction when the going gets tough. And whilst we can't bend scripture to shape Jesus to be who we want him to be, it is with joy that I can tell you that Jesus is this kind of wonderful counsellor too. We see this across the Gospels. 
One example that comes to mind is how Jesus responds after the death of his friend Lazarus. When talking to Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, Jesus meets each of them where they're at with clarity and compassion without feeling the need to defend himself, despite the fact that both of them do question his absence. Where Martha is rational, Jesus responds with rational truth to comfort. When Mary falls on her knees weeping, Jesus joins her to do the same. He understands our pain and he welcomes us to come before him and ask whatever we need, whether that is comfort or counsel. Uh, One of my favourite verses in the Bible can be found in the book of Hebrews. And it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is both a deeply compassionate and empathetic listener who meets us where we're at and a wise and wonderful counsellor to those who believe in him. Well, what does that mean for us, for God's people? In the book of Proverbs, there are multiple verses that remind us that we're not meant to walk the Christian life on our own, that it's only with counsel and guidance that our plans succeed. Scripture had already told the Israelites that they needed counsel. And then they get to Isaiah 9 and hear that this child, this future ruler, will be this wonderful counsellor, as well as, and because he is also, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the even greater news is how this verse, verse 6 starts. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. This perfect counsellor is given to the people of God. In the context of the book of Isaiah, it's referring to the Israelites. But we know in this post-Easter world that when it talks of God's people, it means given to all God's people who choose to accept it. He has given himself to us, to you. Wherever you're watching from, whatever the week just gone has looked like for you. The two friends I mentioned earlier, who offered Camille counsel over the years, they both have a lot of wisdom to share, and they both know me fairly well. Uh, But neither of them can know me as well as Jesus, the one who knows all things, and welcomes us to seek that counsel from him. You don't have to come by cover of night like Nicodemus did. You can come before Jesus with the same problem more times than I used to go to Bethan. And he will be endlessly patient, endlessly compassionate and endlessly faithful. Christmas is often thought of as a time full of joy and happiness, as it should be. But Christmas can be a really hard season for a lot of people. Even the original Christmas story is about a teenager giving birth on the floor of a dirty stable. It's cold, it's dark, and this year, for many across the country, it's potentially going to be very lonely. Maybe you resonate with that, and people getting excited actually fills you with a sense of dread. 
Christmas is all of those things. And it's vital that we recognise that. However, we recognise it knowing also that Christmas is a thrill of hope to a weary world that desperately longs for and needs it. Hope in the form of a person who is best placed to offer us counsel and wisdom. Hope in the form of one who meets us in our sufferings and weeps with us. Hope in someone that loves us enough to listen to us when we come to him. Take some time in your heart if you are someone who needs that hope, which I imagine is all of us. Take some time to come before Jesus in prayer and offer your worries to him. Let him speak to you. Turn to his word and hear his counsel reach your heart. I'm just going to take a moment now. We can take that moment together just to pause and reflect. And then I will uh, close for us in prayer. Father, we thank you so, so much that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In a year that has felt so confusing and like we don't understand it, we thank you that we can come before you and you can offer us heavenly wisdom and wise counsel. May we, may we be people who are able to come to you with all things. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I just pray as we get closer to Christmas, help us to think of the people uh, for who this is a really difficult season. And may we just lift them up to you. We thank you again. And Lord, we trust in your counsel for our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchgilford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.